This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on insurance. I'm an attorney retired from the practice of law and now, among other things, produce these videos. Today I'd like to talk about something different with regard to insurance fraud, and that is insurance fraud by insurers. Insurance fraud is not limited to fraud by insureds against their insurance companies. Much to the shame of the insurance industry, the reverse also happens. The poster child of fraud by an insurer was Martin Frankel, who created a scheme he masterminded to loot more than $200 million from seven insurance companies that he controlled. Franklin American Corporation and its wholly owned subsidiary, Franklin American Life Insurance Company, were controlled by another entity, a Tennessee trust named the Thurnor Trust. The trust had purchased an 85% interest in Franklin American in 1991. In subsequent years, the Thurnor Trust purchased five other insurance companies which were domiciled in the states of Mississippi, Missouri, and Oklahoma. Between June 29, 1999 and January 14, 2000, the insurance companies mentioned were ordered into liquidation by the courts in the four states in which they were domiciled. Martin Frankel, the man who allegedly controlled a financial empire that included the insurance companies, a securities trading firm, a nonprofit foundation, and the Thunor Trust, was indicted in both state and federal courts for fraud, criminal conversion, and for allegedly looting at least $215 million from the assets of the insurance companies. Frankel's scheme to defraud the insurance companies, those it insured and its investors, began in 1991 and lasted nearly 10 years. They involved the participation of dozens of co-conspirators and ultimately resulted in the insolvency of the insurance companies. In broad terms, the scheme worked this way. Franklin obtained control of the insurance companies and, once in control, placed two of his co-defendants in positions of authority as CEO and CFO, respectively. Those defendants then stole the insurance company's money through a series of financial transactions. To commit their fraud without detection, Frankel created sham companies used alias identities and had numerous mailing addresses for phony companies and identities. These defendants transferred the money from the insurance companies to banks or brokerage houses in the United States and from there transferred the money to foreign banks, usually in Switzerland. Then they transferred the money back to the United States where it was converted to untraceable cash for their own use and to fund their fraudulent scheme. Frankel was convicted of multiple counts. He appealed his conviction, and the Second Circuit Court of 
federal appeals affirmed his conviction in its entirety. The case is called United States versus Frankel and was decided on December 21, 2009 by the Second Circuit Court of Appeal. Frankel took others down with him. Consider U.S. versus Kim, a 2004 decision of the District uh, Court in Connecticut, where in 2003, following a two-week trial, defendant Mona Kim was convicted of seven counts of crimes which arose from her participation in a scheme to defraud insurance companies and investors. The government's indictment and prosecution of Kim was based on her participation in Martin Frankel's scheme to defraud various investors, financial institutions, insurance companies, and the shareholders and policyholders of those insurance companies. The witnesses and documentary evidence established Kim's involvement in Frankel's scheme to purchase life insurance companies in various states and to do so without disclosing to regulators or the public that Frankel would own the companies and manage their financial assets. The evidence produced at trial showed that Kim participated in Frankel's scheme by assisting in the conversion, theft, and embezzlement of insurance company assets, by using an alias of Monica Kim to assist Frankel in falsely representing that the assets were on account with Liberty National Securities, one of the entities involved in Frankel's scheme, and by establishing, maintaining, and employing bank accounts under Frankel's control. The facts deemed necessary to an understanding of the issues raised by Kim set forth in greater detail that, upon a review of the record, the court found that the government introduced sufficient evidence to allow for a conviction. From the evidence adduced at trial, a reasonable jury could conclude that Kim was a separate, culpable party from the Frankel Enterprise. Frankel's enterprise was not limited to the commission of wire fraud and money laundering transactions, but also included market research, running insurance companies, gathering data concerning financial markets, and conducting special projects activities, all of which provide ample links between the members of the enterprise, which extend beyond the conviction and commission of the charged racketeering activities. Further, the fact that Kim's actions were often under the direction of Frankel is not determinative of whether Frankel's scheme and, and Kim were separate and distinct entities. Indeed, the Second Circuit expressly found that the proof used to establish the practice of racketeering activity may in particular cases coalesce with the proof offered to establish the enterprise element of RICO. Because Kim has failed to show any miscarriage of justice in her trial, 
the court declined to exercise its discretion and grant a new trial. Because Frankel's enterprise was not limited and also included market research, running insurance companies, gathering data concerning financial markets, and conducting those special projects, all of which provided ample links between the members of the enterprise like Kim, which extended beyond the commission of the crime and caused the defendant Kim to be convicted and the convictions to be conferred. In a case called Chow versus Day, a 2006 decision of the District of Columbia Circuit, the circuit dealt with a case brought by the Secretary of Labor under the Employee Retirement Security Act of 1974, better known as ERISA. The secretary filed a complaint in the United States District Court against Day alleging he violated his fiduciary responsibilities through an illegal scheme to misappropriate insurance assets. Specifically, the secretary alleged that Day accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars from 29 ERISA-covered employee benefit plans for the purpose of purchasing insurance for the plans. Under his brokerage scheme, Day sent invoices to the plans for various insurance policies. The plans paid the bills by sending checks to Day, and Day deposited the checks into his corporate account. Instead of using the plan's checks to purchase insurance, however, Day kept the money and provided the plans with fake insurance policies. The district court granted the secretary summary judgment and ordered Day to pay over $1 million in damages. Day claimed he was not a fiduciary subject to the law and appealed on that issue apparently having no defense to the issuance of fake insurance policies. The D.C. Circuit found, after reviewing the evidence, that Day, as the plan's agent, was bound by a broker's common law fiduciary duty to faithfully deliver the plan's assets to the insurer. The court found there is a fiduciary relationship between them and the agent or broker has a fiduciary responsibility to the insured. The D.C. Circuit therefore affirmed the district court because Day was a broker who solicited, accepted, and pilfered the plan's assets by reneging on his promise to purchase insurance for the plan's members. Day exercised sufficient authority or control over the disposition of the plan's assets to qualify as a fiduciary under the disposition clause of the ERISA statute and was ordered to pay the damages. Day was far more than a custodian. He was a broker who solicited, accepted, and pilfered the assets by reneging on his promise to purchase insurance for the plan's members. On the facts presented, the court held that Day exercised sufficient authority or control over the disposition of the plan's assets to qualify as a fiduciary. 
Clearly, insurance fraud is not limited to schemes to defraud insurers. People who operate insurance companies, insurance agents and brokers, are also involved in insurance fraud against those who purchase insurance. Fraud by insurers and insurance professionals can include agent application fraud, where the agent forges, forges an insurance application using information from an unsuspecting person to co obtain commissions. Clean sheeting, where an agent conspires to acquire life insurance without disclosing life-threatening illnesses. Conversion, where the agent retains customer pre premiums, provides the customer with fraudulent and fictitious insurance documents. Churning, where an agent induces the customer to use cash value of existing life insurance policies to purchase a new policy resulting in a new commission for the agent. Fraud by company and officials can include submission of falsified financial statements, misuse of company funds, issuance of unauthorized insurance policies, insurance plans not authorized by the State Department of Insurance, individuals not licensed to do business in, of insurance, and fraudulent group individual health plans. Some examples of fraud by insurers claimed under homeowners' policies include issuing policies with a declarations page showing policy limits that the insurer knows is higher than the actual cash value or replacement cost of the policy, using economic coercion to force the claimant to use their preferred repair vendor, undercutting market rates to lure employers to acquire workers' compensation insurance while failing to produce and properly maintain sufficient funds in reserve to cover claims, use of an unqualified or dishonest medical examiner to avoid payment of claims, use of unethical defense attorneys to avoid payments of claims, use of unethical private investigators, or use of special investigative unit investigators whose only purpose is to deny claims rather than in an effort to avoid fraud. This video was adapted from my book, Insurance Fraud, Volume 2, How Lawyers and Claims People Defeat Insurance Fraud, and is available as both a Kindle book and as a paperback from Amazon.com, and from my website, zalma.com, by clicking on the Insurance Claims Library. If you found this video to be useful, please refer it to your colleagues, and please subscribe to my YouTube channel and to my blog so you can learn about future videos and blog posts. Thank you for your attention.